0: Thy Word is Truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor.
1: Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening. I hope you were able to weather the storm, and uh, everything is back to normal.
0: If you have a question... We would love for you to ask it here on That's Truth. That's the purpose of this program every Tuesday evening, is for you to interact, for you to send in your questions. Maybe it's a question that you have. Maybe it's a question that someone asked you, and you think it'd be beneficial for Pastor Murphy to answer it from a biblical worldview, for the rest of us to hear how to answer it for when one of our coworkers or family members or neighbors is to ask us the same question. We have a WhatsApp question from a listener in Antigua that we're going to start out tonight's episode with. Pastor, can you please comment on the books Conversations with God and Conversations with God for Teens by Neil D. Walsh? I heard that Oprah is promoting the book, and that just doesn't seem like something that Oprah would promote. Am I missing something?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, let me just say that when Oprah promotes any kind of a spiritual book, understand that Oprah is not a believer, she's not a Christian. Oprah is a New Ager, and uh, all of the people that she brings on her program relative to religion basically espouse her own theory of religion. Uh, when you have receive uh, eminent success and there's no place else to go as she has in the financial world and in the media world. Um, Life becomes empty and there's no meaning, no purpose, so you have to find some other avenue now to keep that um, level of um, significance and level of meaning, and that's where you branch off into something called spirituality. And this is exactly what has happened with her. Uh, The gentleman that she's talking about, Neil D D. Walsh, uh, he first wrote the book on um, a common, on dialogue, which had to do with conversation with God in 1995, and then after that he wrote another eight of those books, um, and they they were bestsellers for about two and a half years on the New York um, best-selling list. A lot of the claims that he makes in those books certainly are not biblical and not scriptural. It's completely antithetical to any kind of biblical Christianity. Uh, For example, he claimed that he was inspired. Uh, He claimed that he heard God speaking behind his back and telling him to write this book. So it's a series of questions that he's asking God, and God is giving him uh, the response. And he is as he's doing dictation. So as God is giving the answer he's literally dictating, and so what he wrote is actually what God told him. Now the problem with that is that when you look at what he said God told him, it is completely contrary to what the bible teaches in different different uh, areas. It is also significant by the way that in two thousand april seven two thousand when he had an interview with um larry um King on c n n Larry King asked him if he was sure that what he had was from God, and he uh, did admit that it probably wasn't God, but it came from his subconscious. So which is it, that is inspired by God, or this is just his own vain um, imagination giving him answers to the question that he poses in, in his mind to God? It's most likely that he's either an egomaniac or he is somehow demonized and given these thoughts t- to put in writing so that he can they can disseminate them and teach false doctrines on Scripture and about God. And I think that's probably what has happened uh, with him. Um, <coughs> the significant thing about it, though, is that it is shocking that over 7 million copies of his books had been sold. And the world seemed to... Have embraced his type of uh, Christian philosophy about, about God or what you call the new age uh, movement now in terms of the person himself, he comes from a very troubled uh, background he 's been through a series of several unstable relationships and also had a number of career difficulties as a matter of fact, he has been married four different times and he 's produced four different children uh, nine different children. Uh, So this is not a man that is a a, a paragon of virtue. This is a man who has gone through a lot of confusion and uh, probably found it was beneficial for him to write in order to bring himself out of poverty and uh, to establish himself as some kind of a religious guru, which falls in line, of course, with um, Oprah's views. Uh, Let me share some things with you that he said uh, in his book. For example, he said, God is in everything, and everything is in God. That is pantheism. That is not Christianity. That is Eastern religion. Uh, And I would suspect if a greater study is done in terms of his own um, past, you might find that he has studied comparative religions or involved in some kind of Eastern mysticism. But that is not biblical Christianity. He also said there's no judgment and no punishment and no hell. Again, that is completely contrary to the Scriptures. Uh, He said that after death, a person goes to a different level of existence in order to continue the evolution of the human soul. Uh, The Bible says that after death, there's a judgment. There's no progression after death. Your destiny is sealed here on planet Earth by the choices that you've made, the decisions you've made, and those decisions and choices have consequences. He said there's no right way to live or no one way to God. There are many ways... Uh, to God and they're all equally valid now this is the same doctrine that Oprah teaches I heard Oprah on her own program arguing with a lady that Jesus Christ could not be the only way to heaven as a matter of fact she said that Jesus Christ was an egotist to say that he was the only way to heaven she believed there are many ways to heaven and Jesus is just one of those ways that is not biblical Christianity that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's why Oprah is simply not a true, genuine, authentic believer. She is a delusional person, uh, holding to religious positions that are contrary to Scripture, and no matter what she teaches, how popular she is, she's a false prophetess, if you want to use the term, or a false advocate. Um, he also said that uh, all— but she's
0: done so much good. She's helped out charities and all.
1: Well, there's nothing wrong—philanthropy is—we should admire philanthropy in people who are wealthy— I mean, Bill Gates has done a lot of that and Steve Jobs has done a lot of that. We don't discount the value of people making contribution to people who are poor and needy. That is commendable. But that doesn't give them a green light that what they're teaching in terms of spirituality is, is biblical or sh- they should not be opposed or condemned or criticized for what they're teaching. Uh, there are a lot of people who are not Christians, who are very compassionate and very philanthropic. But again, when it comes to... Um, biblical teaching and, and doctrinal teaching, we must examine what they believe and what they're teaching by what the Bible says. And when we do that, we find that she is in great error. <coughs> the other thing is that, um, in one um, document that was sent to me, uh, a lady who was a lesbian asked him, uh, um, asked him a young lady, what is the position there? And quite frankly, he's saying that being a lesbian is something you're born with and that there's no sin in being a lesbian. Uh, When another girl asked about the fact that she's living with her boyfriend and that her mommy told her she ought to get married because she's living in sin, uh, his response was, uh, there's no sin to be forgiven. Uh, In other words, it's a complete moral relativity. That guides uh, his, 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 his principles So when you take all of those factors Into consideration It is very obvious That these are not books That you would ever recommend Or you would ever give to uh, believers uh, These are false doctrinal statements uh, Couch in words That are attractive and appealing To young people And you've got to be very, very careful What children are exposed to I understand that some of these books Are given out in schools so I understand they're also given out uh, Some of them are given out Very free as well and i would suggest to you that uh, i don't know if it's happening here but i would suggest you that when your child is given some kind of a book and especially of a religious nature please read the book to find out exactly what is being drilled into your child's head Uh, they are trying to indoctrinate your child in uh, what is called the new age movement where there is everybody is god everything is god There is no purpose in life. We're just drifting to become to a point of higher consciousness, and then we reabsorb into the universe. Um, So I'm saying to you, be very watchful. This is not a person. uh, It's not worth buying this book. Uh, It's not worth uh, giving it to the teenager. As a matter of fact, it might be beneficial for you to get one yourself and uh, maybe read it so you're more able, armed, to defend your position against this kind of writing. But Oprah is doing the devil's work. There's no question about that. She's promoting a book that is so contrary to Scripture, it is incredible that she would say on television that she's a Christian. She's simply a person who is an empty shell without the Spirit of God, uh, motivated by the desire to have a following and to be significant. And religion now is where she is turned to, having reaped success in the media and in, in, in terms of the financial Standing, So there's no place else to go. And she's at the top of the pinnacle, nowhere to go. And now she's finding herself empty. She's finding something to fill it. And what is filling it now is a New Age religion, not the Christ who has promised life eternal and the abundant life.
0: I, while you were talking, I went on Amazon, where obviously you can buy this book. And of the reviews that are left, 86% of the people give it a five-star out of 5 stars is what it has. So how can you criticize a book (coughs) when it's got 4.7 out of 5 stars? I mean, if I was buying a knife for the kitchen or a microphone for the studio, and I see 4.7 out of 5, I'm saying, that's got to be good.
1: There's a simple answer to that, Nathan. We're living in a post-Christian world. There's no doubt about that. Uh, People are no longer governed by biblical principles and biblical truth. We've gone so far away from that now. So any kind of book that um, kind of amplifies what we want to believe, we don't want to believe there's a judgment coming. We don't want to believe there's punishment coming. We don't believe that there's something called sin. We don't want to believe that uh, man is when he dies. He that's the end of humankind. We want some kind of continuance. Now, the Bible gives answer to those questions, but the answer the Bible gives is not what is palatable today. It's not what the, the the mindset is today. It is more in harmony with the Eastern way of thinking, which has infiltrated the 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 West. And now you've got pantheism is rampant, reincarnation is rampant. Uh, so it's, it's not su- not surprising to me that uh reading that book and seeing all of those stars, the majority of those people are people who are not believers, they're not Christians, they're just what they call spiritual in the sense that they're searching for truth, but truth outside of Scripture.
0: Now, you stated or quoted him as saying that he heard a voice behind him, the voice of God telling him what to write, and he was his book was inspired. Do you question whether he heard a voice, or you're questioning whether it was the <coughs> voice of God
1: two things. Number one, I'm not too sure that he really heard a voice. Remember that when he did this, by the way, he was at the lowest point. He was living like a um, a bum on the street. He had he lost everything. He was now trying to recover. He was actually becoming suicidal. And while he was in that phase, that very low, depressed phase of uh, suicidal ideation, it is then he said that while in that state, God uh a voice. He heard a voice saying, well, why don't you ask me questions? Right? Uh, I think that could be um, a delusion. Uh, I think it could be very well be that if he's going to sell books, he must somehow connect with God. How do you connect with God? Uh, again, claiming that he got it from God. It, at all religious books, there's some supernatural being behind those books to give authenticity to it. And I think in his case, he found by claiming that he got this from God. You know, there are people today who write books call automatic writing, they're saying that the the um, the guru or the the term that is used, uh, in other words, this oh ascended masters speak to them directly, and what they write is what the ascended masters teach them. Now you can't prove either way or not, right? But again, it sells books. And remember that the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And here's a guy coming from in the in the very base, trying to pull himself up. And what better way he found was to write these books. They started selling in the millions. He's making tons of dollars. And by the way, uh, to hear him at some speaking fee has gone as as much as $700 per person mm. just to hear him speak. Um, I'm just saying that the world is in a state of uh, spiritual chaos. And there are people who are on the scene willing to deceive to make financial gain uh, of the this, this situation. I think he's one of those people.
0: As a Christian, how should we respond to someone who might view <coughs> the book or comment on the book in this light? This book is written in the form of a Q&A with God. If you're struggling and feeling disillusioned like I was, this is a must-read. It literally gave me the motivation to begin the process of getting off drugs and it has improved every aspect of my life.
1: All I can say to that person, you probably haven't read the book in its entirety, because you can't tell me a man that is saying to you that there's no judgment, there's no punishment, there's no hell, there's no sin to be forgiven, there's no pardon to be forgiven. Uh, You're saying that a person is born uh, genetically as a lesbian. Uh, You're making uh, those kind of claims. Uh, How does that um, line up with Scripture? It's either the Bible is true or he is false. And to my judgment, that's a simple simple equation. If he teaches anything contrary to Scripture, because there's no truth in him, he might have a lot of nice ideas that you need to talk to God. Uh, that might be an idea you can borrow. But again, if you go to the Bible, you will find in the Psalms, more help in the Psalms, I will say to you, than you find. Because David himself in the Psalms asks questions. <laughs> David makes complaints. complaint. David sometimes is angry sometimes David is depressed every single human emotion that you can think about you will find in the Psalms and you always find at the end of the Psalms that David is able to find his way out of the darkness and get hope but that hope comes from his faith and trust in the living God so if you're looking for answers get into the Psalms you don't need to turn to this book uh, of this, this man who who is a clearly an uh, uh, unbeliever clearly an apostate clearly not a Christian uh, and, and by the way You know, if I give you an ice cream and it had one percent arsenic in it, (laughs) it, 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 then I got ninety percent, ninety nine percent is okay, but the one percent is what will kill you. So don't assume that uh, because you're getting some stuff, good stuff, out of whatever is there, that that means, of course, that he is in line with Scripture. What you need to do as a believer is to make your judgment on the basis of how does any teaching, any doctrine, any pastor, any preacher, any pope, any priest, uh, how does his teaching line up with Scripture? If it does not line up with Scripture, you ought to reject it in its totality and uh, stick with the Bible. The Bible tells us that the chief characteristic of the end time is going to be deception. Read Matthew chapter 24, four different times. Our Lord said, About deception. He said, if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. He warns us that this will be the chief characteristic of the end times, and the only safeguard against error is truth. And the only place you find absolute truth is in God's word. That has to be the standard by which you judge everything you hear, everything you see, no matter who it comes from. If it is contrary to scripture, it is contrary to God's word, and therefore, as a believer, you need to reject it. And
0: you're convinced that the word of God is true.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, all of it. All of it in its totality, from beginning to the end. Uh, I have firm conviction about that, and that's another subject we can talk about why we believe that. But there's no question that the Bible is the word of God.
0: You're listening <coughs> to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. We are here for 90 minutes every Tuesday night for Pastor Murphy to answer your questions. So if you have a question, we would love for you to call and ask it live on the air by calling one 462 7420 Or you can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 1454 can also join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live link, and then while you're listening to the program and watching behind the scenes, you can also comment your question in the comment section. Now, this next question I have for you, Pastor, is in relation to the storm you referenced at the beginning, Hurricane Tammy, that passed through our area this weekend. Uh, it kind of was delayed and delayed and delayed. And I'm looking at a map here where the storm was coming and Antigua was headed straight for Antigua and then it jogs to the east, goes around Antigua, hits Barbuda, and then it straightens back up uh, on the path that it was before. So with that in mind, that the storm just seemed to go right around Antigua, does that mean that I'm sure there were people in Barbuda praying for safety? There were people in Antigua praying for safety? I was one of them. I'm sure you were one of them. Does that mean that those of us in Antigua have more power in our <coughs> prayer, better communication with God than those that are in Barbuda? Or how do we look at that in today's day and age?
1: Well, there's an interesting uh, event in uh, our Lord's teaching when He talk about the uh, the tower that fell on people and killed them. And, uh, and our Lord asked, asked the, the question, did that happen because there were more sinners than the people were, and he, he he points out to them that what you need to do is to repent, in other words, we're all guilty uh we all deserve death to be honest with you. God is sovereign, and this may not be an evidential sign that people in Antigua are more righteous than people in, in Barbuda uh, It is true that people in Antigua were praying there's no question about that people in uh and um, Barbuda were praying now, i don't know. About the people in in, in Barbuda, uh, I don't know, um, you know, what their religion is in terms of what they believe, and so on and so forth. But it is clearly that uh, in God's providence that He decided that Antigua would not be a hit, and that Barbuda would get uh, feel some of this 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 thing. So I think it's more a reason to be thankful than it is to suggest that we are better or we are more righteous or more holy. Uh, because it, we avoided the, the storm. So I think there's more a basis for thanksgiving than it is to try to evaluate uh, why this Barbuda was hit rather than Antigua. Uh, I think that would be thanksgiving for Antigua being uh, avoided. Uh, at the same time, you pray for the people in a, in, in, a, in a Barbuda, and if you can offer help, if the help is needed, you offer that kind of it's an opportunity for compassion, and to, to share in their burdens and, uh, and whatever has happened. But uh, we must never pat ourselves on the back and uh, lift up our chest and like a peacock spread our feathers, saying that, hey, we are much better than these people are. That is a misnomer. And our Lord's illustration of that in the New Testament, when he's teaching, that the tower that fell on the, the people, it didn't fall on them because they were worse sinners. He said, uh, I tell you the truth, except all you repent, you're going to perish as well. So it's just an act of mercy, but it's not an indication they were worse off than you were. Um, Strange providence of God, but it's an opportunity for praise and thanksgiving and to offer Christian help and and, uh, um, whatever we can do to help those people who came on to the brunt of the storm.
0: As I think back over the last month or so, uh, we had Tropical Storm Philippe and then we had Hurricane Tammy, and both of those. And I know science has come a long way. The Met Office does the best that they can. The National Hurricane Center does the best that they can with the maps and computer planning and all. But I feel like these two storms... We're just a reminder of how God is the one that steers storms. You know, they say it's coming at this speed, and then it <coughs> slows way down. They say it's headed this direction, and it shifts a little bit other. Just a reminder that God's in control of yeah. all.
1: The other thing, Nathan, I mean, we we can't discount the power of prayer. There's no question about that. We might have in Antigua some people who are real prayer warriors that get hold of God, mm-hmm. and it could be a result of their their prayers that they, we we were... Uh, we were spared So we, we don't, while we want to talk thanksgiving We also want to recognize that there's power in prayer yeah. And uh, I don't discount that The people who were praying That God answered that prayer And, and uh, decided that uh, Antiqua His spirit this time um, That should make the nation Not only be appreciative And thankful to God But that should change the way we live Right uh, Because ultimately uh, We what we sow, we're going to reap. And if a nation sows to iniquity, it's going to reap iniquity and judgment. If it sows to righteousness, it will reap success and joy. So it depends on the people. You just can't uh, enjoy the benefits of God's blessing, God's protection, and God's sovereign uh, overruling what the, uh, the, the climate people say was going to come our way. Thanksgiving should lead to a change in our lifestyle and more dedication to the Lord.
0: Next question. Uh, Pastor, what are some (coughs) indicators that a teenager might be facing a struggle or a deep crisis? (coughs) Well,
1: there are several signs um, that indicate when a teenager teenager is is going to a a crisis mode. Uh, Let me mention some of these to you. Uh, First of all, there's a change in behavior. So there'll be a behavioral change, the way he acts, the way he speaks, the way he dresses, the way he responds uh, to his parents, uh, change of interest that he may have. Um, So once you see a significant change in the normal patterns of behavior, that should be a red light, that there's something going on here. So that's one of the factors, a change in behavior. The other thing is uh, emotional volatility. And what I mean by that, significant mood changes He's more irritable, more peevish, more sulking, more melancholy, more depressed. Uh, He has a lot of highs and he has a lot of lows. Uh, There's intense anger sometimes and uh, uh, sadness. Um, And I think the irritability factor is is one of the key signs here. And then number three, a change in sleep pattern. He either oversleeps or... um, he sleeps less than he should sleep. Uh, and um, that becomes very, very clear. So you find sometimes in church he's falling asleep when that would not normally happen. Uh, sometimes you find that he's sleeping extra long when that does not normally happen. And sometimes you find that he can't seem to go to sleep. He's walking up and down the room or he's opening the fridge, refrigerator, etc., etc. Uh, that tells you quite frankly he's having problems Sometimes standard. what I mean by that is the performance uh, drops, especially his grades. He's an A student. Now he's plummeted to C student. He was a B student. Now he's in his Ds. Uh, there's a decreased interest in schoolwork, and he doesn't want to do his homework. He doesn't even want to go to school, and he's beginning to fail. That is a red flag again that he's going to a time of crisis and stress. And then loss of interest in um things that he previously enjoyed. Uh, example, maybe he liked swimming, or he liked tennis, or he liked drawing, he liked uh, um, uh, reading, or he liked playing computer games, or he liked playing with his brothers and his sisters. Now all of that interest is gone completely, and he shows no interest in those things at once, brought so much fulfillment to his life, That is telling you that something is wrong. And then they are fit- physical symptoms as well. He's very lethargic. He used to be very energetic. Uh his eyes are now red. Um his pupils are diluted uh dilated, sorry. Um he's now has practices poor poor hygiene. He's not he doesn't want to bathe, he doesn't want to even brush his teeth sometimes, uh, sometimes even the, the, the smell. He's not even cognizant of the smell that he has, but it is c- creating discomfort in the home. Or he's finding himself daydreaming, and he just can't sleep. That uh, physical uh, symptoms are indicated that he's in a crisis, and he needs help. And then the matter of social withdrawal. He now begins to isolate himself, uh, become a recluse. He uh, seems to prefer privacy and he seemed to avo- avoid any family socials. He becomes somewhat antisocial. <coughs> I think those are seven critical factors that indicate that the teenager is in a crisis situation and uh, needs some kind of help or some kind of intervention. Uh, so use that as a kind of a, a, a standard to just look at your teenager, What is what's going on in his life, what are the changes you're seeing. And, and by the way, don't buy the excuses that um, he would normally tell you. You're much wiser than that. You're much older than he is, so um, or she is. But use that as a kind of a standard to, to, to look at him through the lenses of these seven things, and I think it will help you get an assessment.
0: So if these are the lenses for giving an assessment, and you're looking, the listeners looking at this, and they say, you know what, okay, Pastor, at least a couple of these, maybe several of these, are starting to cross that threshold of a warning sign what should I do
1: talk to him that's the first thing before you go to anybody to get help for him sit down and, and by the way don't do it where other people are wrong it's embarrassing to, with a young person so just tell him let's go for a drive get into the country and tell him what you observe what's going on in your life you know and reassure him whatever happens with your child reassure your child of his your love unconditional love I had little Ellie came to me this week. And she said to me, "Granddad, dad, when I do wrong, you still love me? I said, of course, Ellie, I will always love you. Now, I don't know where that question came from, right? But um, we all uh, know that we don't deserve love. And we all, when we do things, we all think that people will hate us. But uh, a, ch- a person, teenager, needs to be reassured of a person's, a uh, parent's love, irrespective of what happened. And then, uh, so when you ask those kind of questions, Uh, See what the response is If you are uh, Asking those questions And it's obviously that You're not angry You're you're calm You're cool And it's out of interest But you find that Those things are creating Anger And resentment There's something going on there At some point in time And um, All I can say At that point in time uh, Tell him that You're available Anytime he wants to talk You're willing to talk But As his father Or his mother um, you may have to take some steps. For example, <coughs> you have to check his room. You know, what's going on? Uh, check on his, check his, his his school bike, et cetera, et cetera. You can't just say, I'm not going to violate his privacy. Your His welfare is more important than just his privacy. And you've got to do what's best for his welfare. So you might have to do that sometimes. You might have to find out, okay, uh, you might have to go to school to find out who does he move with in school. Well, who are their friends in school right i think uh his peers who's moved with and then if he goes anywhere on weekends like next door or wherever again you have to find out who is over there what they engage in that kind of activity so you got to do some investigative work uh, but i think if you show love you show compassion and you make him aware that you are aware that something is going on. I don't know what it is, but something is going on. I'm here for you. I'm willing to help you. And uh, I, ne- I can I seek help for you. That's what you can do, Nathan. You can't you can't grab him and beat him and uh, tell him you're going to tell me now. That's a big mistake that people make, right? You shouldn't have to beat a child beyond 13 or 14. So when you beat a person with 16, 17, 18, you've got a lot of resentment there, right? Especially men. Uh, but I think the connection of that relationship, keep on talking, keep on talking. Now, the problem here is this, though. If you didn't have a relationship before, how are you going to build one now?
0: That's what I was just going to ask you. What would you say to the parent who says, Pastor Murphy, that sounds great, but I don't have that kind of relationship with my child, or maybe <coughs> I'm a step-parent?
1: What I would do, quite frankly, is to admit my failure. I would say to him, Bill, uh, we've been living in the house together for so many years. I've never really had a close relationship with you. It's my fault. It's my failure. But I'm observing some things that are causing great concern to me. And I want to make a step towards building a bridge between you all and myself. How do I do that? What can I do to build that bridge? Now, he might make some suggestions. He might say something. Uh, he might gi- give you a very harsh answer as well. But it is hard for us to show kindness and thoughtfulness to anybody and love. And not affect them. Remember that verse in, in uh Romans. If you if your enemy hungry, feed him. Uh, if he thirsty, give him uh, water to drink. And they said you build coals of fire. There's no way that. Uh, and, and by the way, this is how we are wired, Nathan. Suppose I had hated you with all the passion in my body. I hated you. But uh, suppose you were kind to me, thoughtful to me, and showed me courtesy and do all the normal things and. At some point in time, my hate has to has to just crumble because kindness and love is really the is really the, the acid that breaks down all of that uh, poison that is there in, in a person. And that's what you've got to do with your child. Uh, talk to him, showing love, et cetera, et cetera. And it will take time to build a relation that wasn't in existence. But it has to start with somebody. Let it start with the... The, cu- the other thing I would say, if you're starting that is to say to him, could, could we go out once a week? Let's go by Kentucky and just sit down and talk, right? Something of that nature or let's go by the seaside and talk. We'll buy lunch, whatever it is, and sit down and talk. Somebody has to be the adult in this whole thing and it has to be the parent. And I think if a young person sees that the parent is trying to make up for the f- failures in the past, there will be resistance at first. But I think if that is genuine or authentic, there will be a transformation between the relationships.
0: I'm going to take a question from last week and a statement (coughs) you just made and bring them together to hear our biblical perspective. Now, you referenced the verse in Romans Mm -hmm. where you're uh, building coals or heaping coals on the head of your enemy and that love will break down that hatred. What would you say to the listener who says, Pastor Murphy, that's exactly what Israel should be doing to Hamas instead of going into the Gaza Strip and fighting fire with fire? very with simple fire.
1: answer to that. This has to do with personal relationship. It has not, nothing to do with national uh, security. A government's responsibility is not to love a murderer. Uh, and uh, uh, in other words... If a man murders a person premeditatively, his life should be forfeited. I believe in capital punishment, okay? Now, there may be occasions where the governor might commute a sentence when he learns about the circumstance, but that is not what you do when you all um, national between countries. A government's primary responsibility is the security of its citizens, and Israel has a right to protect. I just saw—I've um, been following this this thing very frequently, Nathan— And uh, they've now captured some of these same Hamas people And they've they've now interrogated them They were offered $10,000 and an apartment For every Jew they killed Okay This is these people saying This is exactly what it it was about (coughs) Etc Very evil people who have no morals and remember Hamas is a religious movement, which is the most evil thing that you could possibly have when it comes to positions and fighting. You see that in the case of these crusades, etc. Yeah. etc. Et so you, you can't you can't change their mindset because they believe that if they're killed in the passage of war, they're going to heaven and have seven virgins because they're not the jihad. How in the world do you and the West counteract that when that's their religious belief and they were indoctrinated so far? So I I don't the position that the Bible is talking about is that you're dealing with um, interpersonal relationships. You're not talking about countries and countries. It's not it's not a the the Bible is not a manual and telling you how countries should interact. But it does tell you what a government should do. In terms of protecting its people and its security, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but we're dealing with two completely different things. It's like uh, people use that uh, uh, turn the other cheek. That's a personal matter, it's not a matter between a country and a country. Turn the other cheek. I think <coughs> the best way to have security uh, of any country is to have so much power that the enemy is fearful to attack you because of what will happen to you. In other words, that kind of power is what is needed to uh, prevent uh, interventions and prevent other nations coming and taking advantage of you. That's why I think Israel has survived. survived. I uh, just mentioned the other day that there are 600 million Arabs surrounding Israel. uh, Syria and Lebanon in the north, you got uh uh Jordan and Iraq in the east. You got Arabia, uh Saudi Arabia and Egypt in the south. The only place Israel can go is in the sea. Israel has seven million people versus six hundred million people. How do you survive? And remember that the the uh behind all of this is Iran, which has stated ex- clearly Israel must be wiped off the map, right? So, how do you deal with a situation like that? The only answer is you have to have a strong military power to defeat them in such a way that they would have second thoughts. Because if you don't do that, they'll be back again. They'll be back again. So, there's two different principles involved here.
0: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the beautiful island of Antigua on 11:60 a.m. and 92.3 FM. Do you have a question? Maybe something that was said this evening has triggered your mind on something that came up at the lunch table at work today or a discussion that came up over dinner last evening with your family or friends. We would love to hear your question. It doesn't have to relate to something we've already discussed tonight. It could be completely off the wall. It could be just a question about life. It could be a question about the Bible. It could be a question that doesn't really relate to religion at all. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling one 462 7420 When you call and ask your question, it is a safe place. You can ask your question. We're not here to mock or ridicule or publicly embarrass you. We're here to hear your concern, your question, and then pastor will answer it from a biblical world view. If you don't want to speak live on the air, that is not a problem. You are in good company. The vast majority of people don't want to talk on the radio. You can WhatsApp or text your question. And if you want it to remain anonymous, just put at the beginning anonymous. And we don't list names, but we won't even list uh, what area code, what country, what hemisphere you are sending this question in from. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1268... 7821454 you can join us on facebook live go to the caribbean radio lighthouse facebook page click on the facebook live video feed and then in the comment section while you're listening to the program and watching behind the scenes you can comment your question now we still have just about 45 minutes left in this episode so please do me a favor encourage someone else to tune into That's Truth. Send them a WhatsApp, give them a phone call, send them a quick email, or call down the hallway and encourage them to tune into That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have to step out, maybe you have to go to work, maybe you've got other responsibilities, you've got to put your children to bed, or whatever the case may be, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this episode on Saturday afternoon From 3.30 until 5 p.m. And if that doesn't work, it's not convenient with you. Later this week, you can go to our website and download the podcast and listen to it at your own convenience. A little bit here, a little bit there, or all together in the middle of the night at your convenience. Go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see, that of a microphone, like the one I'm talking to you through. And there's a link for podcast. Click on that. And then look at the That's Truth podcast, and you can go see all 250-plus previous episodes. And they are categorized by topic, and it is a great resource for you and also for your friends and family. Pastor Murphy, why does God allow illness and sickness in this world and in, this, in our lives? I mean, after all, God, God is a God of love, so why would he do that?
1: Well, the thing that we have to understand when it comes to humanity is that we're living in a fallen world. All that we are going through, uh, sin, evil, wickedness, is a result of sin. For that, for God to uh, completely er- eradicate all illness, He would have to completely, just by a divine fiat, do away with sin. To do that, it violates God's moral character, God's holiness, okay? So God is moral, God is holy, God is love. That has to be balanced. The controlling attribute of God is His holiness. And sin is an offense against God, and as a result of that, there has to be accountability. There has to be uh, seeking forgiveness and pardon, repentance, confession of God. (coughs) The other thing is this. If God could... um, To God to do with all evil and all sickness, it would mean that God would have to absolve everybody of responsibility. Because a lot of the evil in this world is a result of other people. Let's put it that way. So if you want God to remove evil, it means that, again, you have to have perfect people. But you can't have perfection in a fallen world. That perfection only comes when, of course, we see Jesus and we become like him. But meanwhile, restraints can be placed on that evil in a person by putting the faith and trust in Christ where they have a new nature, they have the Holy Spirit and of course they now start to live by the scripture that puts restraint. Every Christian knows that had they not become a Christian they would be far more evil. They still have an evil streak in them there's no question about that still have evil thoughts but what has made a difference is the faith and trust in Christ the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a new consciousness that you didn't have before a kind of a god consciousness that is there that restrains that's the job of the holy spirit so uh god is going to deal with sin and illness eventually but meanwhile part of his plan is to allow men to make choices that result in people getting hurt But remember that every single one of us will one day give an account before God and stand before God and give an account. So one day, a lot of the injustice and the evil that is being done will be rectified in terms of people held accountable for it. Uh, And that's how we had to live by faith that this world... Uh, even though it's a checkered world with confusion and ill and sin and corruption and all kinds of things, uh, we have to believe that there's a moral God behind all of this. And one day, he's going to bring this thing to a climax and bring the hope that people are looking for. And that hope, by the way, is offered in Jesus Christ. So this world is never to be a perfect world. That's why we escape the wrath to come. In other words, it is motivation for us to pin our hopes not on what is down here, but what is in above. So it has a religious, spiritual purpose in pushing the direction of serving the Lord and dedicating our life to Him. Um, so I think that evil even serves God's purpose down here. Illness as well. If you were to read some of the stories of people in their illness and how it became an, an occasion where for the first time in their life they were, understood their vulnerability, their mortality, and that led them to such humility of seeking God and pursuing God in prayer that a lot of them will tell you that even when they came out of the illness, uh, quite frankly, they would have preferred that the kind of intimacy they came to know God at that level. They just wish that the illness could continue. It's like the lady, I think it was Fanny Crosby. Fanny
0: Crosby, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, they asked if she would like to see. She said, the first person I want to see is Jesus. Now, she lived all of her life in blindness wouldn't you want to see? I would love to see it, Nathan. Yeah. And look how many books and how many songs she's written, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But that drew her so close to God that she felt that I haven't really missed out on anything because life is about, this life is an antechamber to eternity. We are down here prepared for the next world. She found that moment in her uh, blindness, and that made her connect with God in a very intimate way. She didn't want to lose that right? So illness has a purpose in driving us to the Lord. It also has a purpose in allowing people to be accountable for what they do. But ultimately, God has promised that one day he will deal with uh, illness and sickness forever. But that will not happen until our Lord returns and um, um, we go through the rapture and we go through tribulation and God makes all things new.
0: Now we want to have a few questions on the topic of conflict and that's something that all of us at some point face. But to start that out, what do you mean by conflict?
1: Well, conflict has to do with basically with disagreements uh, between people, arguments. There's some antagonism between them, uh, maybe about an idea, an event, an issue, uh, an interests or other individual persons. So it really has to do with a, a, a strong disagreement of some kind that leads to some kind of verbalized, uh, verbalization of the issue between the two individuals. <coughs> and I think we all fine-hearted, find hard to define it, but we all understand what it is. It's when we don't have a, a harmony between two people, and there's difficulty between them, a strong disagreement, so there's some level of estrangement, and um, that leads to distancing. And of course, you need to bridge the gap and bring about healing and bring the people back, two people back together.
0: Now, what are some of the biblical sources of conflict?
1: If you go into the Bible, the Bible is a, not a manual that is um, exhaustive in its teaching about conflict. But the Bible does give us an idea of some of the sources. Sorry.
0: I'm going to interrupt you for just a minute. Sure. We've got a call from Bendels. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please.
2: Good evening. Good evening, Daniel. Good evening, sir. How are you, Pastor
1: Movie? I'm doing okay. I'm just uh, having a problem with my throat, and um, this has been beating me for two weeks. It's but I nice think I'm getting over it now.
2: Okay, okay. Well, Good night.
0: Good night. Good night. How can we help you?
2: Yeah, Pastor Movie I a question to you. Yes, sir. Why, why does speaking in tongues have to do with casting out demons?
1: There is no connection in Scripture between speaking in tongues and demons. What I would say is that some people who are demon-possessed... Speak in other languages, there's no question about that So there are times when people talk about speaking in tongues And they think it's a sign that the person has got the power of God in them But a lot of times, uh, people who are demonized speak in a foreign language I can, I can tell you that from experience I know of a person who didn't know French that's speaking French And was demonized, there's no question about that uh, So uh, that's why you, the danger of being an advocate of tongues in the church today there's a very serious danger there, and to assume that because a person seemed to speak in another language, therefore they have the power of God, quite clearly can be misleading. Uh, so, so there's no there's no biblical connection between uh, speaking in tongues and, and and demons, other than the fact that people who are demonized do have the capacity to speak in tongues. There's no question about that. And
2: and why does everything have demons is that. People like you have to vomit like a
1: cold and anxiety demon. Well, I don't know why that that happens. I I know that some people um, bring up stuff from in their stomach. I I heard about that. I've never seen it myself. I've seen uh, a person's stomach kind of rolled like a belly button. I've I've seen that happen when the person's stomach. I've actually seen that myself. But I've not seen um, any kind of um, phlegm or... Stuff, But there are people who indicate that People who um, are delivered That sometimes that happens I don't think it should happen all the time Because you don't have any account in the Gospels Of any occasion Where a person after they were delivered from demons That they've vomited And stuff like that is not mentioned in the scripture And it's seldom mentioned In any book to read about uh, Leaders or pastors or missionaries Who dealt with demons But sometimes I understand it does happen But it should not be a common feature of a person who delivers from demons.
2: Well, I say that more many times. I say that more many times. And I And then why is that every demon that's asking is mostly woman, I the a demon, not a demon?
1: Good question. Very good question. Uh, <coughs> and women, by the way, I would say this, are generally the spiritual giants in most homes uh, that might seem contrary to, to think, but it should not be that way. But Nami, the the the, the wife, um, is more dedicated and committed. The man is more work oriented, his own work, etc., etc. She gets involved in a lot of different activities, etc., etc. Et but clearly, that should create a concern that all the demons we are dealing are women who are demons. I mean. Why do we? Why, that that would cause me some concern. Why 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 only women are seen to be demon possessed? Uh, there's something that is clearly wrong there. Um, so I don't know um, your own experience and the experience within your church setting, but that do should I, be.
2: one time I asked I asked I asked the why why people <laughs> only woman that demon Because so he tell me that the woman is easier to to attract. New money easier to attract demons I don't know where I come from I don't know the scripture do
1: you get I, yeah. that from uh, what you should ask him is show him to show you the scripture uh, <laughs> no but if you check if you check the bible now check the bible and you see that most of the demon delivers are men yeah. check, yes, check yes. it for yourself so what I would do in a case like that is say pastor how do we Differ on these things Look at the Bible You've got all of these men Are delivered from demonic I think there's Mary uh, Castle seven But other than that
0: yeah. I cannot
1: All of them basically Fundamentally are, are men They might be one or two women But the majority of people Who were delivered <coughs> were, were men So I think that is something That should be looked at
2: Exactly Anyway, thanks for the explanation, and you get
1: well. Is yeah, I hope done? so too. Keep on praying have for been. me. And t- say yeah. hi to your wife uh, for me, please. God bless.
0: Yes, thank Bye-bye. you very much for the call. Appreciate it. Good to hear from you, Brother Williams. Keep your radio dial tuned on 11:60 a.m. and 92.3 FM and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth. We have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good night, Pastor. I hope your cold goes away soon. Question. Do you believe there are other worlds with living beings in the universe apart from us?
1: (coughs) No, I don't. Um, The only other beings I believe that exist are angels and the angelic hosts and demonic beings. So all of this parading of... um, UFOs and stuff like that. Um, uh, I'm a very hard person to convince that these things are, are, are real. Uh, I think they might discover that a lot of these things, like uh, 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 these c- countries, are always developing something that, when you discover, it shocks you. I was looking at some planes that America has uh, created, and they're flying. I'm saying to myself, "Man alive, I didn't know those th- those things existed." So I think that sometimes countries are involved in a lot of uh, sinister activity, and um, I would not be surprised that some of these things that are claimed to be uh, extraterrestrial are actually uh, something that is uh, actually part of the military uh, means that these countries have uh, in terms of their defense. But I don't believe that they are uh, other... Um, Civilizations on different parts of different planets. Uh, I stick with the Bible. And it's very, very clear that you've got God, archangels, um, seraphims, cherubims, angels, and mankind. And man is made a little lower than the angels. So I don't see any other uh, creature that is mentioned uh, in Scripture.
0: Thank you for your question. We appreciate you interacting with us here on That's Truth. And we look forward to more questions. You can call and ask your question live on the air. The phone line is now open and available. Call 1-268-462-7420. That'll put you live on the air after you speak with Sister Marianne, who is serving as the call screener this evening. You can WhatsApp or text your question to us. One two six eight, seven eight two, one four, five four, or you can send us a question on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook Live, and in the comment section, send us your question. Pastor, you were talking about some of the biblical sources of conflict.
1: Yeah, I, uh, several things in the Bible. Uh are indicative of where conflict comes from. For example, disapproval of a decision. Uh, in Numbers chapter 2, uh, Moses married, Apparently, uh, does all she can within her power to disrupt the marriage, and God intervenes and strikes her with with, uh, with leprosy. Uh, again, uh, she's disapproval of what Moses is doing, created this conflict between herself and Moses, and God clearly came in on the side of Moses. But that created a conflict where, you know, they've got a lot of family members that think they know what's best for you. Uh, moms, for example, know what's best career for their children. And here's why. They have always wanted to be something in life, but they never achieved it, so they want to achieve it through their children. Biggest mistake they've ever made. There are people today who are doctors, lawyers, who are completely failures, not that they're not making money, but they don't enjoy what they're doing. They fulfill the dream of what their parents wanted. But they were not designed by God for that particular purpose, and that is what happens. But disapproval, then this jealousy that caused conflict. You remember David and Saul? Uh, David was Saul's best friend and Saul's and, and, uh, best supporter. <clears throat> and then the day came when Saul lost his popularity and David became more popular, and that created friction between the two. And as a result of jealousy, uh, it resulted in conflict where Saul even tried to kill David with a javelin. It's all about jealousy. see, uh, And that created the conflict. Then there's misunderstanding. Numbers 22, the two and a half tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan Uh, and the other tribes have gone over the other side. And then the two-and-a-half tribes are concerned that after a period of time, they might lose the connection between the uh, ten-and-a-half tribes that went over on the uh, western side of the Jordan, and they remain on the east. So what they decided to do was to build an altar. They know that sometimes they may not be able to go to Jerusalem because of the distance. But the people in the west took that as now they're trying to um, raise up a, a form of idolatry. And uh, they're trying to displace Jerusalem. That was not the plan. The plan was, how do we really connect? We're here on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Our brethren are on the other side. How do we ensure that we remain spiritually connected? And the answer was an altar. When that was eventually understood, it prevented genocide uh, that would have taken place because the others were coming to destroy the two and a half tribes. But then it was made clear that the plan was not to fracture the national unity, but to establish that unity by having a place of worship, etc. And then the other one is um, pride and ambition. We see that clearly with <coughs> Lucifer and God. I mean, his ambition is to be like God. His ambition uh, causes this um, pride in him that eventually led him, who was the anointed cherub. Uh, so a uh, godly angel became the fallen, uh, demonic Lucifer. But remember the root of that. That conflict came about as a result of pride and ambition. Then there's the principle in the the, uh, the Apostle Paul, conflict over the Gospel. Uh, That can cause conflict over biblical truth. And in case you had Peter and Paul, where Peter uh, dissembled when the uh, Judaizers uh, weren't there, he had uh, he socialized with the Gentiles. And then when the Judaizers came up, uh, he withdrew himself and Paul said, you know what? Uh, what you're doing is completely wrong. That led to conflict between. And Paul had to stand up to Peter to his face, his book says, and tell him he was wrong. Because the gospel brought uh, Jew and Gentiles together and broke down the middle wall of partition. You find that in Ephesians. So he had to stand up for that. And then there's injustice. No question about that. Jacob and Esau Esau felt that Jacob had done him an injustice, and indeed he did and you'll find that the conflict between Jacob and Esau was never fully healed, uh, even though uh, when he came back and Esau had lost his fire in him, uh, you find that um, Jacob still was suspicious and went far away from Esau and never were never restored to that kind of close relation and then disagreement about missions, Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. That caused a tremendous conflict and contention between the two. So there are times when uh, biblical principles and biblical dogma uh, uh, and biblical plans and programs will cause conflict. And, of course, we know what happened there in that case. In that
0: case, is it our place, is it appropriate to say, Paul was right or Paul was wrong, Barnabas (coughs) was right?
1: I think in retrospect you probably would think that uh Paul was probably too harsh because John Mark uh in the book of Corinthians, sorry, Second Timothy chapter four, when Paul is on his last moment when he's gonna be beheaded, the significant he says, Bring John, Mark, with the, for, me, for he's profitable to me. So Barnabas seemed to have made the right choice. The young man was not ready for missions. And of course, he turned back in Pamphylia. Paul saw that as a weakness. Uh, I think that Barnabas, being his uncle, saw that that this was a failure. But this young man could be strengthened for missions and to become a more productive person. And he was willing to invest in the young man's life because he was the encourager. Remember, that's the thing about him, he's the encourager. Paul was the kind of person that, didn't feel that he should play around. Uh, if you didn't, if you sh- in other words, if you t- said you are called and you, you go in the mission field and then you turn back, Paul said, no, nah, I, can't, I can't invest my life with you. You're not, you're not mission's material. Yeah. But Barnabas saw a different aspect of him. So I think in, it turned out well that Paul chose another companion, went to the party, and Barnabas chose uh, John and went to another party world. So missions increased rather than decreased as a result of what they did.
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight thirty four. In this aspect of the program, we are talking specifically about conflict and how to overcome it. But before we do, Pastor is laying some groundwork and also discussing some examples of uh, biblical sources of conflict and some principles in Scripture. Some cases where we saw. Uh, any other
1: examples of conflict in Scripture? Yeah, there's also the conflict between law and grace in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Should the believer be brought under the yoke of the law or should they uh, be under grace? And of course, they had a convention in Acts, chapter 15, where they had a convocation brought together and discussed the whole matter of what should be put on the the Gentiles, and it was agreed that the law will not become the standard by which the Gentiles are under. They will be under grace, and then they will later. And then, the other thing that I think is important too is selfishness uh, is a great cause of conflict. If you look at James 4, 1 to 2, Nathan.
0: (laughs) One of my favorite books of the Bible, James (laughs) chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not whence even of your lust that war in your members? Verse 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. The the, the thing there is that
1: Um, clearly... Every person is in, 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 a matter of self interest. They're not looking after the interests of the other person. So, that kind of self interest would always lead to some kind of conflict. Same thing in marriage. If you have a selfish wife and a selfish husband, and both want their own way, you're going to have conflict. So, selfishness is one of the primary reasons for um, conflict. So, those are nine uh, uh, biblical examples of where conflict comes from. It's not an exhaustive list. But it does give you an idea, and it kind of covers a lot of material, a lot of ground of where we get our conflict from.
0: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from Antigua on 1160 AM and 92.3 FM. Pastor, uh, a question from a listener. Is it possible that God used evolution to create the world to some degree?
1: Impossible. I challenge you to go through the Bible and see how many different verses in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, that makes it abundantly clear that creation is the work of God and evolution paid no part. As a matter of fact, remember, evolution is only a modern idea that came about in the 19th century with uh, Darwin. Okay, He was not the original thinker of uh, evolution. If you ch- check out Greek philosophy... You'll find that some of the Greek philosophers also uh, believe in a type of uh, evolution. God has told us in His Word exactly how man was created. Uh, It tells us that man was created on the sixth day. And you have to decide once and for all whether you accept the Bible or you pursue the evolutionary course. But you cannot be an evolutionist and be a Christian. It is totally impossible for that to happen. Now, I know there are people who would disagree with me on that. But it doesn't move me one bit. I think the Bible uh, in itself supports that position, and you cannot in any way um, uh, synchronize the evolutionary theory with the biblical doctrine of creation. It cannot be done. Evolution requires billions and billions of years. It requires death before there was sin. Okay? Impossible. Death in creation is a result of sin. Okay? And that came about after Adam's sin. So there could not be death before that. But evolution requires that there be death of smaller molecules, smaller animals, etc., etc., until finally gradually come to, to humankind. It's an impossible... And by the way, it's a very stupid theory as well, if I might say this. Uh, yet there are a lot of very brilliant people who hold to it. But I would, I, I, I would suggest if we ever had a debate, and we brought down the, the best Christian debaters on this matter... I have no doubt in my mind that the secular person will be given a, a song whipping because the evidence is in favor of creation as opposed to evolution. There's overwhelming evidence, especially now with the completely uh, this, um, breakdown of the DNA. They have discovered that that is information in a particular order, not something randomly scrambled together, Right. So now they're talking about intelligent design. They can't get away from the fact that you cannot believe in random selections as a basis for who we are today. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think what has happened is that because these people push evolution, the church was afraid of being called obscurantist and that they were they were not intellectual, they're not smart, they were not up to scientific data. As a result of that, the church bowed to the evolutionary theory. Now the a, a proponents of evidence, there's so much against evolution. Now it's the evolutionists uh, who find themselves in great difficulty. But how do you come around and say we were all wrong? We were wrong on this whole matter. It's not going to happen. So you've got to make a decision. But clearly, uh, one cannot be a Christian and an evolutionist at the same time. It's impossible for that to be.
0: Back to the topic of conflict, Pastor. What are the basic core <laughs> principles in dealing with conflict?
1: Well, the, the fundamental principle when you're dealing with conflict is to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Now we need to make a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Look at Psalms, Psalm uh, thirty-four, verse fourteen.
0: Psalm. 34 and verse 14 says, Depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it.
1: And then look at Hebrews 12, verse 14.
0: Hebrews 12 and verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord.
1: And then there's one other verse, Romans chapter 12, I think it's verse 18.
0: <clears throat> Romans twelve eighteen reads as follows, If it is possible, as much as lieth in you, <coughs> live peaceably with all men.
1: The principle there is that where there's conflict, it's the obligation of the believer to become a peacemaker, to seek to establish peace between the person. Uh, it doesn't say he's a peacekeeper. And I want to make a distinction uh, between the two. A peacemaker is not synonymous with being a peacekeeper. Uh, uh, a, a person who is a peacekeeper is a person who is willing to sue for peace at any price as long as some sort of calm results. So it doesn't matter if it's a right or wrong situation. All I want is just to be some kind of a calm situation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's not a peace maker. That's a peacekeeper. You're trying to keep the peace, but at what expense? Mm. Uh, withdrawing from a conflict might give you the illusion of peace, but it's not real peace. It is just keeping quiet to preserve the aura of peace. Uh, it is not genuine, heartfelt peace. The, the Bible word for peace is shalom, and that means something that is genuine and authentic and real, not something that is forged and that ignores uh, principles. So, we'll Peace uh, makes the restoration of the relationship is a key thing with real peace. Uh, a peace. A peacekeeper is just a person who just wants peace for the sake of peace. There's no plan to try to restore any kind of relationship or to, to bridge the bond and, and to bring about healing. That's not the purpose. But real a real peacemaker is a person who pursues peace in order to restore the relationship. And then, of course, the ultimate goal of all that we do as Christians as a peacemaker, is God's glory. And uh, we need to make sure that we enhance God's capital among people so people can see by what we do and how we live and how we behave and how we try to heal relationships that uh, it says something positive about our God. But I think that is the the, the key thing here. You want real peace, being a peacemaker, and uh, making God's glory the ultimate end of uh, conflict resolution. So what does a peacemaker do then? Uh, There's several things that a peacemaker does. Number one, he wants to understand the other person's perspective. That's the key thing. Look at James 1, 19 and 20.
0: James 1, 19 19 and 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Uh,
1: Clearly, um, when you're trying to resolve an issue, you try to uh, listen. Now, which is a very hard thing for me, I must confess. But James is saying to you, saying to us there that we should be slow to speak and ready to listen. So, what the reason for that is to try to see the perspective of the other person, see where the other person is coming from. Don't try to interrupt. Don't try to attack. Uh, have a heart t- to listen, to try if you can see that person's perspective. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 to
0: 3. Well, I'm turning there. That book in that verse in James was above the bullet, above the chalkboard in my grade six uh, s- classroom, and it has stuck. Again, I'm not perfect, I yeah, haven't, yeah. but it has stuck with me. Uh, I can remember my teacher, Mrs. Shope, reminding us even in conflict in the classroom, uh, and we memorized that verse. And uh, so, as a word of encouragement to you, parents or to you teachers, uh, those things that may not seem to be sticking with the young children, even at in elementary school, they will stick with them even as they're adults later in life. Uh, Philippians chapter two,
1: uh-huh, verse two and three,
0: two and three, fulfill ye my joy thee be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves.
1: Yeah, it's basically saying that you need to take some time and not only look after your own interests. Now, it doesn't say you shouldn't look after your interests, but don't look after your interests exclusively, only, basically. That's what it is. And that's where it's important to try to understand a person's perspective. And that's giving them a time to unravel and to share with you how they see things, etc. It doesn't mean you agree with them, but at least you see the angle they're coming from as part of the matter. And then learn to speak the truth uh, in love. Ephesians has a lot to say on this matter. If you look at Ephesians 4, look at verse 29, verse 31. Ephesians 4. 29 and 31.
0: 29 says... Let no corrupt communication <coughs> proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Ghost. Not, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse thirty-one. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice.
1: Yeah, and then look up verse fifteen
0: of the same chapter. Yeah. It says, but speak in the truth in love. Yeah. May grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And
1: then verse 32.
0: Verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God mm. for Christ's sake hath forgiven you.
1: Yeah, but the Apostle Paul is talking into relationships that they have and conflict resolution. He's telling them what not to do. And then he's saying to them, this is what you're supposed to do. So you have to learn to speak the truth, but try as much as possible to speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, makes a, a, a real vital statement in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. 2
0: uh, Corinthians? or First, First. First? Corinthians 13, 1 says, Though I speak with t- tongues of men and of <clears throat> angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal.
1: Yeah, again, what Paul is saying that uh, you got to watch your words. And even though you may be a very eloquent person, if your word is not tempered by a spirit of love, you become a tinkling brass or sounding cymbal. So again, he's reinforcing the same thing he said to the Ephesians, letting them know that you must speak truth in love. Uh, not out of hate, not out of malice, but out of love. And the thing that is important is that we got to avoid the reckless words and, of course, many times the emotional words that we use that are spoken um, distract from what we are actually dealing with, and this becomes the, the focus of the contention. Uh, uh, and I would say to, to a person, uh, write down, if you can, what you think you're going to say in a meeting hmm. and sleep on it. The best thing to do is sleep, because in the moment... Man, you can say some of the worst things, and then, when the moment, when most sober, when you're thinking of the Christian perspective, you say that's too harsh. That is too, that's too rough. That is too powerful. That is too mean. Let me temper that. So I think it's important to to calm yourself down. And then the other thing I would say, Nathan, is try to consult with others, uh, seek Godly advice, uh, and come up with a plan or strategy uh, that embodies biblical wisdom in how to resolve the conflicts no man is an island in himself no man is sufficient in himself and there are times when we need to turn to other people I've got a difficulty here I've got a conflict here uh, what have you tried I've tried this I've tried the next well what's the person's view on this matter uh, uh, let us th- put our heads together and see if we can come up with some kind of a strategy how we can approach this matter et etc. et cetera. and then uh, plan words that are factual and truthful and loving uh, when you are going to approach the person and I will say this finally Nathan Uh, Watch the tone of your voice and your body language. Uh, You know why? 70 to 80% of what we communicate is through our nonverbal means. It's not what we say, but how we express ourselves. So I think it's vitally important that that be taken into consideration. And then, of course, add prayer and choose the right time and the right place. Sometimes uh, you want to get something off your chest, but it's not the right time, it's not the right place. There's too much fire already burning, and you want to throw some water on that fire and restore some kind of a calmness, a normalcy. So that may require, listen, this is not the time for it. This is not the place for it. Let's agree that we'll meet whatever in the place. And then I will say to you, say it in person to the individual. Don't send a message through somebody else, a third party, if you've got a conflict, is better to say. And then I would also say, always have a spirit of forgiveness. Always be willing to forgive. Even if you think that you've been injured and the person is still adamant that you're not going to ask forgiveness, you must have that spirit of forgiveness that is there. Of uh, course, The Bible says that if your brother repent, forgive him. So you may not be able to give him the forgiveness that he needs at the time, but the spirit should be there. I'm always willing uh, to forgive you. Uh, But if you feel that the person is is clearly wrong, um, I want to let you know that whenever you come to that stage where you realize that you you need my forgiveness, uh, it is there for you. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, my spirit towards you is always one of a forgiving spirit. Uh, I think that's important when you're dealing with with, with, with conflict. So I think those um, five or six things uh, should be helpful for a person who is dealing with uh, conflict.
0: And pastor shared those quickly. Uh, If you want to listen to them on the podcast, you can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo you see, picture of a broadcast microphone, a circle that says podcast. Click on that. And then later this week, probably Thursday, maybe Friday, you'll be able to download this entire episode and go to the second half of it as we're discussing conflict and take detailed notes on that. We've got a little under eight minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. You still have time. If you want to quickly send in your question via WhatsApp or text message, please do. It is not an inconvenience for you to send in your questions. In fact, we would much rather have your questions than have a completely quiet evening. Uh, We enjoy your interaction, and we thrive off of it. So you can WhatsApp your text, your question to 1268 782 1454. Maybe it's not a question, maybe it's just a suggested topic. It doesn't have to be a large written out anything. It could just be one word, say consider discussing and this that one word or that one topic. We want to be as practical as possible, and the best way to do that is to know what you are thinking about, what you are hearing discussed, what you are being challenged on, so that we can best ground you in Scripture with a biblical worldview on that topic. Pastor, adolescents, why are they so stressed?
1: Well, I think there's several reasons for it. Um, One of those, of course, is the unrealistic academic standards that sometimes parents set for the children you know in the, it's popular in the Caribbean when somebody gets 13 ones or 11 ones and uh, uh, everybody may want their child to achieve 10 wands, you know grade ones at, at CXC right. that may not be realistic for your child and the parents can put so much pressure on the child that it can lead uh, to frustration uh, because parental expectations are, are too overwhelming, and um, it af- affects their capacity to function as they should. Because how do you tell your daddy or your mommy, say, well, I want 11 ones out of you. Uh, and then you realize when you're doing these subjects that I can't, it's, it's not, 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 I don't have that capacity, I don't have that ability. And by the way, um, we got to uh, um, stop trying to realize our dreams through our children. We've had our time. Let them find out what God's will is for their life, what the vocational calling is, without putting this enormous pressure on them. You only need five subjects, I think, to get into state college and get to university. You don't need 11 Uh, ones. And sometimes you put so much pressure on the child that he gets discouraged or she gets discouraged and frustrated because that's putting uh, stress on me and and, uh, making expectations that I think is outside of my capacity.
0: Pastor, do you think there are situations where a parent has put so much pressure to get those 11 ones or 9 or however many that it actually, the child says, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and they actually are encouraged or pushed down the path of cheating or cutting corners in order to accomplish it?
1: Of course, Nathan. I mean, if my dad tells me that um, I must only, I, I must, I must, Achieve ninety in every test I do. Uh, if I if I don't um, do that, there are lethal consequences. You f- you find yourself in a position where number one, like all children, you didn't study hard enough. You didn't study enough. I mean, it's a reality of life. So yeah. now you get sixty. Uh, you're so fearful that. You feel that this is only... So what you do, you f- how you can make it for your failure to study. That can cause the child to write things in the desk, write things in their hand, uh, put formulas in there, uh, if they're allowed a computer or calculator, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So you can actually push the child over the edge to do things that are unethical because of the standard that is set that is virtually an impossible standard for the child. That doesn't mean we shouldn't set high standards for the child, but we have to know each child that we have and make sure it's not we trying to live our success through the child. It's their best interest, not what I want, you know, because when I get old and they're a doctor, they're a lawyer, and I can't work anymore, they will take care of me, et cetera, et cetera. That must never be the focus. It must be what is what, what is God's calling for their life, what is their vocational uh, calling for, for their life, and help them to achieve that, right? That may not be what I want, But that's how the Lord is leading them. Let them make that kind of a choice. I think a lot of parents are going to regret in eternity that they have pushed their children in the direction of careers that was never God's will for that child's life. And I think in that day, uh, the discovery is going to be so embarrassing to see uh, where the child was leading, the Lord was leading, and yet the parent intervened and pushed them in this direction. Now they've gone in a completely different path than God intended. I think there are a lot of shocks are going to happen in the future uh, in that day of judgment of a uh, parent interfering in God's will in the child's life to achieve their dreams, their their goals.
0: In the last minute and a half, what <coughs> advice do you have for the individual? Maybe they're an adult now, and they went down a path because they were encouraged and they were pushed, they were coerced, and they don't have fulfillment from that, and they've invested, maybe they're a doctor, maybe they've invested 8, 12 years in higher education in order to attain that, but they aren't satisfied. What advice do you have?
1: My, my counsel there is that, listen, the career path you've chosen, sometimes your whole future welfare is wrapped up in it in terms of your security. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to change a career path at this point in time. Uh, my advice would be that... Um, Tell God that um, you're unhappy with what you're doing, and you, you you made a mistake at some point in your life when you should have gone to a particular course. Um, let Him know that, as far as you're concerned, you don't see how you can change that. But if He were to lead you and prepare the way for what His calling is in life, that you are uh, disposed to make up for what was was, was done that was wrong... Uh, And I think if a person is a a lawyer, a doctor, or any person with a great profession, and um, they chose a particular different path, going on the path of God, I think that skill that they had before will also help to support them at some point in time if what they're doing doesn't come up to the same level of finances that the other two would give i think that it it puts you in a good position but i think it's important to surrender to god find out what his will is and if you're unhappy tell him you're unhappy speak to him ask him to bring about whatever change is needed and you're willing and able to do exactly how he leads in your life
0: Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth.